Father, we thank you for that profound truth that we just sang, that you indeed are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise, our adoration, our exaltation. You are worthy in every which way, shape, and form. Lord, we thank you. As Jim said, just that we would have some time in the course of each and every day to just say thanks. Thank you, Father. Thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that was accomplished on our behalf on the cross. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Word, Father, which we now look into. Pray that it will have its good and desired effect in each of us as individuals and for us as a church body. May we understand it well. May we apply it diligently. And we pray this in your Son Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Excuse me. On May 25th, 1961, six weeks after Soviet cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first person to orbit the Earth, American President John F. Kennedy stood before a joint session of Congress and delivered these words. Now it is time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement which in many ways may hold the key to our future on earth. I believe that this nation should commit itself to landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space, and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. It will not be one man going to the moon. If we make this judgment affirmatively, it will be an entire nation. For all of us must work to put him there. End quote. In these words, friends, we, we hear a strong and concise vision. A vision for a nation that needed to be rallied and moved in a certain direction as it came at a time when the Cold War was at its height and the space race was amping up. The Soviet Union had already bested the U.S. by putting the first satellite, Sputnik, into space in 1957 and then bested us again in 1961 with Gagarin's historic orbit. It wouldn't be until almost a year later that John Glenn would make the first American orbital space flight. And though the U.S. had made good progress with its Mercury program, it seemed the Soviets were in the lead. At best, American pride was hurt. At worst was the concern that the Soviets would be the first to even weaponize space. Kennedy saw space as a major Cold War battleground, so he developed a vision that he would present not just to Congress, 
but of course to the rest of the nation. It was a bold vision and one that would ultimately pay off some eight years later when on July 2nd, 1969, the Apollo Lunar Module Eagle touched down on the lunar surface and Neil Armstrong became the first human to set foot on the moon. Now, friends, as I said last week, we, the elders of Calvary Bible Church, see our church as being at a very unique place and time in the life of this body, even a a crossroads, if you will. And we believe that what's needed is a bold vision as to what's next for us. This is something that we've been working on these last several months, and I will share more with you as we get towards the end of this message. But as a kind of lead in to this vision, we are taking the opportunity to solidify ourselves as a church with some of the biblical truths that we as a church say that we believe. I mentioned last year we we looked to our mission statement and, and did this very thing. And then beginning last week, it just seemed only natural to move on to something else that, that we have right after our mission statement, you know, on our website and what have you. And that is what we call our Calvary distinctives. And as we learned last week, there are how many of them? Very good. There are eight. And we looked at the, the first four last week. And we learn that we are a Bible-centered church, number one. Secondly, we are a Christ-exalting church. Thirdly, we are a God-dependent church. And fourthly, we are a worship-motivated church. This week, we finish up with the last four. Beginning with this, we are a mission-focused church. Evangelist and pastor Paul Washer has said this, quote, I feel that missions has lost its message, that we've become strategists and missiologists and have forgotten that first and foremost, we are theologians and prophets, and that our tasks are not to do missions. Our task is to take the truth, God's truth revealed in God's word to the world. Missions is not about sending missionaries. Missions is about the communication of truth to men. He's also said this. We can all get excited about missions. But do you witness to the guy sitting down beside you? Don't talk to me about world missions unless you're going to talk to me about the local church. End quote. And friends, his point should be, well... Taken. Missions is nothing more than, frankly, the communication of God's word and more specifically the gospel to people who need to hear it. Whether it's the person sitting next to you or the person that lives halfway around the globe. Missions doesn't start with mission agencies or people traveling all over the world to do missions, it starts right here it starts with the local church this was made clear throughout scripture but even when jesus was commissioning the disciples in matthew 28 16 to 20 go ahead and turn there <clears throat> matthew 28 16 to 20 and then we see this uh, commission come up again in acts 20 uh, excuse me acts 1 
So we'll turn to Matthew 28. This is that classic text on the heels of the resurrection. Get myself turned there. When Jesus had the disciples meet him in Galilee. Now, part of this gathering in Galilee was recorded by John when Jesus manifested himself to the disciples there at the Sea of Galilee. Here they are at a different location. Look at Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. I know this is a familiar, familiar passage to most of you. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Now, we just want to say for a quick minute here that uh, you had 11 because Judas, of course, is no longer with them. And the ones that were doubtful were probably disciples other than the 11 that were most likely there along with the 11. But those who maybe weren't in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection... Therefore, there is some lingering doubt. I would hope by now, I know there was some doubt during kind of crucifixion and, 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 and resurrection period from our other fellows, but they've had two appearances from Jesus in the locked upper room, and, and hopefully uh, they are resigned to the fact that uh, there is no longer doubt in their minds. Look then at verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, in Matthew 11, in verse 27, Jesus says to the crowds, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And then in John 3, verse 35, it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all uh, things into his hand. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, back in Matthew 28, in verse 19, we read, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And let us just make a few comments on what we just read. The emphasis here in this passage is on the verb to make disciples. It is an imperative. It is a command. And the Greek word chosen for disciples is methetuo, which indicates one who has become attached to their teacher. So as to follow that teacher in doctrine and conduct of life. Of course, the context here is that they would be disciples of Jesus. They would be his followers in doctrine and conduct of life they would be imitators of christ and of course making a disciple begins with the gospel the good news and someone coming to faith in christ salvation followed then by that continued pursuit of christ and his word this call to make disciples includes all nations this is one reason we know this commission was not just for the 11 or then shortly after the 12 main disciples, because there's no way that that group would be able to reach all the nations of the earth in their lifetimes. This was to start with them, but it was to continue through the church. 
And we know this is also the case because of Scripture like Acts 1, 1 to 11, which is another time where the disciples are charged to take the gospel to Jerusalem, right? That's in that local sphere. And then all Judea, the sphere is now broadening and getting a little bigger. And Samaria, oh, even a little further out. And even to those we despise. And even to the remotest part of the earth. Even those who are nothing like us and geographically distant from us. Which they obviously, the disciples, would not be able to do by themselves or again in their lifetimes. Next, we see that they are to make an outward profession of an inward faith by being baptized in the names of the triune God, that is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because it is these three who save. The Father has designed the plan of salvation. The Son has accomplished the plan of salvation, and the Holy Spirit completes that plan in the life of an individual. Then they are to be taught all that Jesus commanded. And this is that, that sanctification part, that growing in Christ likeness part, that ongoing transformation by the Word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit that takes place over the rest of their earthly lives. The conclusion then comes with Jesus' promise to always be with each of us as we carry out this mission even to the end of time. This is another signal that the commission was not just for the disciples, but it is for every believer known as the church from that moment all the way until Jesus returns. Now the point again is for us to be missions minded in the sense of being disciple makers. Disciple makers of our families, of our friends, of our neighbors, of our co-workers. And as Jesus points out in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, how about if we're disciple makers even here in Burbank and the surrounding regions around Burbank? And then we're disciple makers in our county, in our state, and, and then even in our country. And then, of course, yes, to the remotest parts of the world. And so, as our distinctive states, as a mission-focused church, quote, we believe in Christ's singular mission for His church of advancing the gospel by making disciples. We focus on our local community aiming to reach the lost through the gospel proclamation. I would end quote and then add, of course, our local community and then beyond. And, and we're going to talk more about this in, in just a few minutes. But next, number six in our, in our eight, is that we are a love-expressing church. We are a love-expressing church. Our Calvary distinctive says this, quote, <clears throat> In response to God's amazing love, we are empowered by the Spirit of God to express authentic, transparent, and truth-motivated love toward one another, end quote. Can I also add that we do so multiculturally, in that as a church body, we reflect the cultures and ethnicities of our geographic communities. Friends, this should be hoped for 
This should be expected. As scripture teaches us in Galatians 3, 27 to 28, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, right? Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in regard to being a multicultural love expressing church, uh, we have a series of verses there there on the screen behind me that demonstrate God's love for us. And because of that, the love that we should have for God and certainly the love that we should have for others. John three sixteen, for instance, that familiar passage for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or John 13 and verse 1, which says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or John 15 and verse 12, which says, Has Jesus um, speaking, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then down in verse 17, he again says this, I command you that you love one another. It's that great uh, love one another sandwich, if you will. And in Galatians 5 and verse 13, Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Love God, love others. It's really as simple as that, right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In most of these passages, we are called to love one another. And, and when we are called to love one another, it's, it's particularly referring to believers and loving believers, loving other fellow Christians. But is there a call for us to love outside the church? Is there a call for us to love others that maybe aren't even Christians at this point? I would have you turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus, beginning in verse 25. Jesus has just received back the 70 disciples that he sent out to a myriad of cities that he himself was going to go to. They have been preaching the gospel. They have been healing the sick. They have been casting out demons. And with these 70 that have now returned, there's a crowd that has formed around Jesus with them that includes others, even some of the Jewish leadership, as indicated by verse 25. Again, we're in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And a lawyer. Now, we just have to put in some parentheses really quick and just say, when he says lawyer, he's referring to somebody who was in the Jewish leadership and an expert in the Mosaic law. And a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You would think, end of story, right? Case closed. Okay, great. I'm going to, wait a minute. 
Verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, what we have here, friends, is a man who viewed himself in a righteous sense as a righteous Jew who believed that he only had to love other righteous Jews. A neighbor to him was someone in his eyes that was just like him, himself. But Jesus shows him something different about who it is he is called to love because he now launches into this tremendous parable of the Good Samaritan. And you remember it. There's a Jewish traveler. He is robbed and left for dead on the side of the road when two righteous Jews and members of the Jewish leadership, a priest and a Levite, no less, passed him by refusing to help because in their law-abiding righteousness, they didn't want to get their hands dirty or touch the man and become unclean. Thus, they even moved to the other side of the road. And who knows, maybe they had other sinful motives lurking in their hearts as well for not helping. But then comes a Samaritan man, somebody that the Jews despised and vice versa. And he was certainly not someone the Jews considered to be of the faith and certainly not a righteous man. And what does this man do? But instead he has mercy, he has compassion for the one who is robbed and beaten. And he cares for him. And he even does so at his own expense. And he is not concerned at all about any differences they might have. Then what does Jesus say to the lawyer? This is in verse 36 of Luke 10. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? He knew the answer, right? And he said, verse 37... The one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go. Show mercy. Show a heart of compassion. Love. In both word and deed. For those in the church. But also friends, those outside the church. Even with those that you might despise. Friends, nothing could be more merciful or more compassionate or more loving than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who need to hear it. Friend, foe, or maybe perceived foe. This brings us to our next point. We are a service-minded church. We are a service-minded church. And we have, again, a list of verses that go with this. We have this series of passages from Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Titus 2 and 3. We might add 1 Corinthians 12 or Galatians 5 and verse 13 or Ephesians 4 and verse 12 that teach us how we are to use our Holy Spirit given gifts for the common good, for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ, which is the church. In fact, in Galatians 5.13, it very simply says, through love, serve one another. 
One passage that gets to the heart of the matter is Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, which has Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and speaking of Jesus when he says this, quote, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. End quote. You say, but but, but, hold on, time out, because I am not gifted to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. But here's the thing, folks. You are a saint. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, and you are a saint who needs to be equipped by these kinds of people for the work of service. And that is, that is exactly what we as elders and the other teachers here at Calvary Bible Church are endeavoring to do. We want to give you the conviction and tools needed to serve others. We want to help you know what your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your desires and your life experiences are that can help you in serving God and others. And the point of this we see in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, where it says to the building up of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. It must be built up. And of course, this is the church. And it's to make the church more like its head, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we see then in verse 13, if we were to go there. Now, in so doing, the church will naturally start fulfilling the great commission of making disciples. It's a a perpetual cycle, right? The church evangelizes the lost, Thus, making disciples, these new disciples are now a part of the church. The church builds them up for the work of service. The work of service ultimately translates again as making disciples, which requires the evangelism of the lost. And there you have it. The cycle continues. However, this doesn't mean that the only valid work of service is specifically evangelism, though we do have an evangelism team that goes out every Saturday night into the streets of Burbank proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Our work of service to those inside the church, friends, is diverse and it is plentiful. And yes, there are those inside the church who will preach and teach and disciple and lead. But there are also those of you that will serve by restocking the pews and working in the nursery and and pulling shots of espresso and helping out in the kitchen and acting as youth leaders and keeping up the facility and doing visitation and, and beautifying the facility and doing card and letter writing and cleaning and chair stacking and music and tech and administration and providing, oh, I like this one, snacks. And cultivating relationships and showing compassion and mercy, admonishing the ruly, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient with everyone, giving financially. And of course, the list goes on of what happens inside the church. But here's the thing. All of it, all of it is working toward the ultimate goal, again, of disciple-making. Seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ and then growing them and maturing them into the image of Christ. And oh yeah, what's the point of seeing people saved? God's glory increased. 
to see more and more people glorify God and to become worshipers of God's Son, to give the Son increased glory. Now, along with serving one another inside the church, as we have already learned from the parable of the Good Samaritan, there are also ways for us to serve outside the church. More on that in a few minutes as well. Returning to our distinctive, our Calvary distinctive, it says, quote, Christians are called to serve Christ and his people, no longer living for themselves, but one another. Therefore, we strive to promote a culture of Christians who make full use of their God-given gifts, abilities, and life experiences to build up each other. I would tack on all for the sake of the gospel. Number eight, we are a mercy practicing church what is mercy we will sometimes say that god's mercy is him keeping back from us what we deserve namely his wrath and punishment and yes that is exactly true of the most common greek word for mercy elios which also gets translated as compassion it means to actively pity someone or to give special and immediate regard to someone's misery which can be from the consequences of sin it always has a sense of goodness the complete word study dictionary of the new testament says this about elios quote the believer is to exercise mercifulness For he can feel compassion for the misery of sin upon others, but he has no power to exercise grace in the same manner as Christ, since that is exclusively God's work, end quote. This is absolutely correct. We see this right in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that familiar text, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. That is that gracious, merciful work of God. So we recognize that we should show mercy to others because god has shown us the ultimate mercy in relieving us of the consequences of our sin matthew 5 and verse 7 tells us blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy now practically speaking we are to show mercy and compassion to a sinful, unbelieving world. Let that sink in, friends. We are to show mercy and compassion to an unbelieving, sinful world. It doesn't mean that they get a pass for their sin, but it means that we bring them the gospel with tremendous understanding for their predicament of being sinners without hope, And with only terrifying judgment to look forward to. Now, I think we struggle with this. And I think when we struggle with this is when we are confronted with people that, frankly, we just don't particularly like. Or maybe people that we actually despise. Or maybe those that we even consider 
an enemy. Turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. If you go back to the um, Old Testament there, you have Jonah. Remember the song, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah. Get the song going in your head to find it. But um, yes, Micah chapter 6, after Jonah, but before Nahum. In Micah 6, we have a, a, a classic text, and it's often headlined as what God requires of man. And it comes on the heels of God indicting his people for their sin. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to read to you actually the NIV version. I like it because it translates the Hebrew word as mercy versus my NASB, which translates it as kindness. Both are absolutely valid, but I'll just like this word mercy for what we're talking about right now. So the prophet writes this in Micah 6, beginning in verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Oh, that is such a tremendous passage of showing what's important to God, what is indeed important to him that should be going on in our hearts that we would act justly, love mercy, and be walking humbly with our God. James 1 and and verse 27 gives us a tremendous picture of how to practically understand this when James writes, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, hold your breath, to visit orphans, And widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The hold your breath wasn't scripture, okay? It's just me interjecting. Pure and undefiled religion and that which pleases God is not about externals like Micah said. Those burnt offerings and sacrifices and the giving up of your firstborn in a more modern context... It isn't about going through the motions of things like church attendance or tithing or serving or praying flowery prayers. But it is about showing mercy and love to others from a sincere heart because that's what God has shown us. And yes, this merciful, loving heart can only come first and foremost from someone who has embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that you? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the forgiver of your sins, the one who went to the cross on your behalf, the one who gave up his life for you, who shed his blood and had his body broke for you so that you could be forgiven because you or I, you or I couldn't do that. We're sinners through and through. Only the sinless, spotless Lamb of God could become our sacrifice. And then go into the ground, dead, 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 but then resurrect three days later 
proving indeed that he is the son of God and he can offer forgiveness of sins and he can offer eternal life because he himself resurrected unto eternal life. Now also, practically speaking, we should be acting mercifully, not just again to those inside the church, but outside the church as well. This would include, but is not limited to, helping the poor and destitute, caring for those in need, and standing up and giving voice to the oppressed. Our distinctive says this, quote, the church is called to engage the culture on issues of social injustice and not turn a blind eye to these matters of great concern. We aim to confront these issues head on with the gospel of truth, end quote. Now, friends, as I said last week, this is a a good time to take stock of where we're at as a church in regard to these eight distinctives and ask questions like, are they still true of us? They were obviously true of the church when they were written. At least that's what the church believed when the church wrote them down. And we might also ask, though, again, what are our strengths as Calvary Bible Church? What are our weaknesses with these distinctives? And then where do we go from here? Now, to help answer this question on behalf of the elders, I want to offer you this vision for Calvary Bible Church for this next year and the years to follow. Our hope and prayer is that this vision will become all of our vision. And I, I begin with a verse, simple verse, Proverbs 29 and verse 18 Where there is no vision, the people perish. It is our desire to have vision here at Calvary Bible. So Calvary Bible Church, just to give you so quick of a history lesson, has enjoyed a long 70-year history of being a solid Bible-believing church. We are a church that was founded on the inerrant, infallible word of God, and we continue that tradition today. In fact, I would say to you that it is more than a tradition in that we are compelled to maintain this distinction. We don't know how to do anything else except be a Bible church. Now, this being said, the vision that we are presenting to you is rooted in the word of God. The Word of God will continue to be the epicenter for all we do here at Calvary Bible. And thankfully, our foundation of biblical truth is solid, it is secure, and it is not changing. Let's be absolutely clear on that. Now, the visible manifestation of Christ's current kingdom on earth is His church. In that universal sense and a local sense universal just being uh, being of course referring to all believers past present and future and local in the sense of believers gathered together geographically is usually the case such as we have here with calvary bible church and our vision also starts with why we as calvary bible church even exists to this end we offer The following. Calvary Bible Church desires to be 
a visible, loving, multicultural community of Christians who gather regularly to worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are committed to the preaching, teaching, and application of God's Word, proclaim a true and right gospel, organize under qualified leadership, observe the New Testament ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, deploy our spiritual giftedness in serving others, make disciples by bringing the gospel to our local community and beyond, and strive to live for the glory of God. Can I say, can we have an amen on that? This is the big picture. This is the big picture of why we exist and who we aspire always to be. Now, to break this down in in even a more basic sense, then let us be reminded again of our mission statement, because it's a good one. And it says this, Calvary Bible Church is a community of believers who exalt Christ by making disciples who know, love, and serve Him. And again, remember that a disciple is just simply a follower of Christ, someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, followed by that ongoing process of being transformed into the very image of Christ. And probably the most exciting thing about ministry for us as elders is to see lives transformed. Transformed from unbelief to belief. Transformed from darkness into light. From the unsaved to the saved. And then once someone has been transformed into a true believer, to see God continue to transform them into the image of His Son. Transformed lives, friends, is what brings God glory. And it's biblical. It is scriptural. For The verse that we've already looked at, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But also in places like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That would certainly include disciple-making. And in Romans 12 and verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed lives is what Calvary Bible Church needs to be about. And as I said both last week and And this week, the elders and myself, we believe this to be a unique time in the life of Calvary Bible Church. We have have the opportunity to to do almost a, a sort of reset, if you will, from some of the difficult challenges that this church has faced over the last 15 years or so. And in fact, this this last year provided us the ability to just kind of get things stabilized from the events of the previous year. And we made we've made tremendous changes to the way our finances operate and and we put in place protections and firewalls that weren't previously there. 
We've brought in the, the expertise from others in the congregation to help us with this endeavor. We've asked for the assistance of Red Buffalo, a like-minded, uh, Bible-based ministry to help us assess the church and all that we do here. And let me just add that you will be hearing more about that assessment in just a few weeks. We initiated our Calvary quarterlies in order to be more transparent about what is going on here at CBC, both behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. We have an elder board that has been functioning extremely well together and a deacon board with a a can-do spirit. We have uh, new men's and women's ministry leadership teams that we formed this last year that are very purposeful in fulfilling their missions. We've seen our our youth group slowly but surely grow. Adventure Club, get up and running. VBS, back in operation. We've been purposeful in creating fellowship events such as, you know, Family Fridays or Pie and Praise or Family Camp, Movie Nights, a New Year's Eve gathering, just to name a few. Our ministry, our, our music and tech ministries are alive and well. Though I would put in a special plug for our tech ministries, we need people. We need help. We have great people working it and running it, but it's, it's, it's kind of bare bones right now. We, we need additional folks to step up and be a part of the tech ministry. You can call the church office when you, this week to volunteer for that. We have continued with solid Bible studies, life-affirming fellowship groups, and a God-glorifying Lord's Day worship service. So again, we ask the question, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Friends, our desire is to have a vision for Calvary Bible that will come to life here in Burbank and our surrounding communities. Our desire is to see transformed lives. Yes, here in our church, but out there in the community as well. There are plenty of spiritually lost people everywhere. And yet, here we are. Calvary Bible Church, a 70-year mainstay in Burbank, called to be the salt and light of our community. John Piper said this, and I'm paraphrasing. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Just think about that. Friends, we want to think big here at Calvary Bible. We, we want to think big because, frankly, we have a great, big, giant God who thinks big. And we want nothing less than to see this community outside these doors transformed into a worshiping community. We want to see God bring many people to faith. We want to see God work mightily in the hearts of the people in our community. We want to see a community of transformed lives. And we believe that God has called this church, Calvary Bible Church, to play a major role in this, to be the city on the hill with light shining brightly. So how can this vision be accomplished? Well, in some ways, some ways we are already contributing to the accomplishment of this vision. 
For instance, we enjoy gathering together, especially on the Lord's Day. Here we are for worship. We regularly practice His ordinances of baptism and communion. And as I said up front, we are a solid Bible-believing church that puts God's Word first in all we do. At the forefront, of course, is the expository preaching and teaching from the pulpit. We have Bible studies and small groups, and the true gospel is certainly being proclaimed. Disciples are being made, grown, strengthened, and encouraged, most specifically here inside the church. But what about, again, outside these walls? Let me offer some questions for you to consider right now. What effect is Calvary Bible having on our surrounding communities of Burbank, Glendale, North Hollywood, Sun Valley, and beyond? Do people in our community know we exist? What kind of presence do we have, especially in Burbank? Because this is where the church resides. What kind of a footprint do we leave? Not only do people know about us, but are we respected members of the community? Do we participate in the community? Not as individuals, but as a church. Do we help the community? Is CBC seen as an asset to the community? How effectively are we reaching the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we even in a position where the community would want to hear the gospel from us? I mean, yes, the gospel needs to be proclaimed no matter the circumstances. But have we given the community out there a reason to listen to us? Friends, in order to be the city on a hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, we cannot, I repeat, cannot isolate ourselves. We just can't. Furthermore, we believe that God uses solid Bible churches even as a restraint towards evil. When we as Christians live and move in the community out there, we naturally influence it for the better. Living an authentic Christian life while displaying the fruit of the Spirit in your daily activities and lives can just have such a profound effect on others. An effect that can lead then to evangelistic gospel opportunities, a door open for the good news of Jesus. And, and as I as I said before, we recognize we, we do have an evangelism team that shares the gospel weekly downtown. And we are looking forward to bringing back our ministry uh, across the parking lot there at Burbank Healthcare. But we do believe there's more to be done, plenty more. Plenty more. Now, to get even more specific, we believe that there are two major ways to accomplish reaching out to our community. And the first is what we're already doing, which is to host and promote ministry events that take place, yes, here on our campus, Calvary Bible Church. The primary one being right here, right now, this weekly worship service, right? In addition to that, we have, of course, our Bible studies and we have our small groups. And I I mentioned youth ministry and adventure club and other activities and events that the community is invited to. And our 
Christmas concert, for instance, and things like Family Fridays or VBS or Trunk or Treat, just, just to name a few of the biggies. Now, we recognize that part of the challenge here is getting the word out to the community, and this is where you come in. And we can advertise and promote through conventional means, and we will continue to do so, but nothing will compare to someone receiving a personal invitation from, guess who? You, right? You. Your ability to connect with people in your daily life and invite them to a service or a Bible study or a fellowship event can make all the difference whether somebody walks through these doors of Calvary Bible Church or not. Now, a second way to reach our community is by, ooh, this is going to be a scary one. You ready? Leaving the hallowed ground of our church facility and going out into the community as active participants, even ambassadors for Christ. I shared a bit about this at our last Calvary Quarterly. This means we look for ways to serve the community, which demonstrates, first and foremost, that this church cares. That we care about the community. In addition, it affords us the opportunity of relationship building. And again, both of these ultimately for the sake of the gospel. And this can be done in a myriad of ways, friends. I mean, maybe maybe we, you know, participate in, in the Magnolia holiday in the, the park around Thanksgiving time. Or, or maybe we take meals to the Burbank Police Department. Or we hand out water at the Burbank Turkey Trotter. We help maintain trails up in the hills. Or we offer our Christmas concert at the Burbank Mall. Again, it's about participation so that Burbank knows that we care about the community as well as forming relationships with the community that all can lead back to the gospel. And frankly, you've already given us some help with this when we asked you for for your ideas as to how we as a church might be Involved. We did that next door and up here on the screen and gave you that little QR code and, and asked you to write down ideas and, 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 and organizations that we might even partner with or be involved with. And we appreciate your input. Now, something else we've done recently is an in-depth demographic study through the missionary organization ABWE to help us better understand the makeup of our community there will be more on that to come as to, to uh, the results. We've gotten the results back. We just haven't had a, a, a long time to kind of sit with those and, and talk about ourselves. But we will expect to uh, regale some of those facts to you as well. Now, what we want to do next is start putting some of these ideas into practice. The last thing we want to do is open the drawer, shove it in the drawer, and close the drawer. We've got to put these ideas into practice. And to that end, I am so pleased to announce that our own Terry Stone has accepted our invitation to become CBC's Community Outreach Coordinator. Amen. Yes. She will be spearheading this ministry and start by by uh, assembling just a... a small group, a small committee who will look at your ideas that you gave to us and others to come up with the best way to 
move forward. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if this year we, we could participate in, you know, whether it's two or three or maybe four community events this year and let people in and around Burbank know that Calvary Bible Church indeed exists that we care about the community, and that we want to form relationships with the people of the community so that the gospel can go forth in an even greater way, friends. We look forward to revealing more of these details in the weeks to come. Now, in keeping with our vision, another key component for early this year, now, will be to hire a family pastor. To oversee all things from the nursery on up through college and career. Oversee those things, but with an emphasis towards our youth group. This is an important, it is an exciting hire. And one that we believe is integral to attracting families to Calvary Bible Church. We now have a job description, and we are ready to go online to find this man that God is preparing for us. So please keep this process in your prayers and let us know of any leads you might come up with, okay? Now, a few other things that I just want to toss out there that we are currently at work on and will continue to implement throughout the year are an updated version of our Constitution and bylaws, reforming our process for becoming an elder. We want to continue with what I pray this last year has been good communication and transparency between the leadership and you, the congregation. We want to also continue to improve our campus design to help us to to be an up-to-date and inviting church. We also look forward to giving you a substantial update from our work with Red Buffalo. Now, in order to help us accomplish these goals for 2023 and beyond, the elders and I have decided that I will preach through the book of Titus over this next year or so. Titus Because it is a very good match for what we want to focus on this next year. Especially in the areas of evangelism, discipleship, and healthy leadership. I know it says relationships, it should be leadership. Now as we wrap things up here this morning, we are reminded once again of our Calvary distinctives. Those core values. How many are there? Good. The non-negotiable convictions upon which this church is built. And again, I just want you to think of these in light of everything that I have just shared. That we are about being Bible-centered and Christ-exalting and God-dependent and worship-motivated and mission-focused, meaning evangelism and love-expressing and service-minded and mercy-practicing. And again, friends, we, the elders of Calvary Bible see this as being just a a very exciting time in the life of this church. It's a ground floor kind of time. It is a new beginning kind of time. It is by no accident that this church has existed as long as it has. And it is by no accident that we as a church continue today and on into the future. We believe that God has tremendous plans for this church For the advancement of his kingdom. 
Now, there was a young Jewish woman named Esther who was providentially placed in the role of queen to a Gentile king named Ahasuerus who reigned over Persia and Medea. And at a time when it looked like Jews would be exterminated, Esther had a tremendous opportunity to influence the king and save her people. But it would require a certain boldness from Esther in approaching the king, to which her uncle Mordecai responded by saying this, quote, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Loved ones, we believe that Calvary Bible Church has been strategically placed and prepared right here in Burbank for such a time as this. May we not be silent or apathetic at this time, but rather speak boldly, act decisively as a church, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may you be glorified in and through this church. I pray, Lord, that this vision, of course, is a biblical vision, your vision for us, that this vision, Lord, will be one that we will all share together and get behind as a church body, a church family, that, Lord, it would be our desire to to break out of of uh, any any isolation that we've incurred, Father, and instead just be that city on a hill, that light shining brightly, the salt of Burbank and our surrounding communities for your glory, for the sake of the gospel, Lord. So, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to this end. Help us to with just concrete, you know, um, clear and decisive movement, Lord, to this end. All because, Father, you are indeed worthy. May we see transformed lives in this church, outside this church, throughout our community and beyond again for your glory. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.